Isn't that fantastic? Oh man, we wanna bless Canada and around the world. It's wonderful to see that from all of those churches. And by the way, let me tell you the joy of live. We are literally live right here now. And while that was going on, we were scrambling because some of the cables literally broke while pulling the TV over here. And so that's the joy of live in case you're wondering. Hey, I wanna ask you a question today that I love asking. Uh, by the way, bon dimanche, bonjour tout le monde. Nous sommes très contents que vous soyez ici aujourd'hui et nous avons une question pour vous that uh, here's the question that we like to ask because this book is the word of life, that this book is the lamp for our feet and the light for our path. It's sweet honey to our lips. It is nourishment for our souls. And so let me ask you the question, are you ready to study God's word today? And maybe you can put that in the comments. You can say, I'm ready. Or en français, je suis prêt. Or espagnol, Eston Listo, in whatever language, we're a church of many languages, and we're glad that you're with us here today. We start a new series today on the last book of the Bible called Revelation and the Mark of the Beast. And so uh, we're going to mix things up here today. I don't know about you, but some people might be getting nervous right now. And one of the main things that you're going to see in this series is that This book is a book of inspiration, but the Bible is also a book of history. And what that means is, when we don't know about the past, we are ill-equipped to deal with the future. And so, uh, over the last two months, I've been really compelled again and again, this idea has come to my mind that maybe we should look at this book of Revelation because with the coronavirus and the lockdowns and all that's, that's going on right now in the world and with people talking about conspiracy theories and, and one world government and microchips and vaccines and the end of the world and the mark of the beast, it gets you thinking. And listen, I'm not saying that they're wrong. All that stuff might be right. And this might be the time that the Bible's talking about. But can I also tell you that I I think some of the conspiracy theories out there and some of the teaching can also be harmful if we're not careful. And so let me be clear about something. Any teaching... In, of the Bible, any teaching of revelation that causes us to fear and have confusion as Christians is missing the point. And so today we're going to look at it with this framework in mind. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so today we want to walk through some principles on how to correctly handle the word and especially this last book of the Bible, Revelation. And so there are four things that we're going to look at today, some guidelines for how to do that. And the first is, number one, we miss much of Revelation if we don't know early church history. I'm shocked at how many times, 
How many times we'll see people who, who teach the book of Revelation or maybe we'll study some of these passages in Revelation and not talk about what it means for the past and what the people who received it were experiencing and only focus on what it means for the future. And so don't just take my word for it. Listen to what, what the author himself says here in the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And so one of the things that I think is interesting here is notice that it does not say to the Christians in North America or wherever you are in the world right now, 2,000 years from now, who are wondering about the coronavirus. Now, not that this book doesn't have things for us to learn about that, and it does, but, but that what we need to keep in mind is that this is a specific letter that the author John wrote to seven specific churches in the New Testament. And then a few verses later in verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so next week, what we're going to do is look at what was going on in these churches because it's important to notice that John, who wrote this letter, it's believed that he was the one who pastored the church in Ephesus, the very first church in this list. And so what that means is he knew exactly what was going on and how they were suffering under the Roman Empire. And so here's what I think that means. That there is a problem when we look at Revelation and only focus on what it speaks about the future, not paying attention to what it says about the past and what they were going through. And so that's what we're going to look at next week. We hope you'll join us for that. But, but Revelation 17 verse 9, I want to give you just a little taste, okay? I promise we won't go too deep into this, but just a quick little taste of that. Revelation 17 verse 9 says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. And so we can look at that and wonder about the mystery of how seven heads can be seven hills and, and the seven hills that some woman is sitting upon and what does all of that mean? Or we can recognize that in the first century, Christians would, would see this and immediately know that it was talking about the Roman Empire because the city of Rome was literally built on seven hills. And so I can't wait to share some of that stuff with you next week. Some of the stuff we're going to look at, I think, is just going to blow your mind, and I'm really excited about it. But guideline number two, we miss much of what's going on in Revelation if we don't know the Old Testament. Of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 of them in some way make reference to verses from 
the Old Testament. That's almost 70% of the book of Revelation that actually draws from the Old Testament. And so, for example, we're still here in Revelation chapter 1. In verse 12, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And so when we read stuff like this, when we read about marks on your hand and on your head, and we read about beasts and and golden lampstands, this stuff sounds kind of crazy and mysterious to us. But early Christians could immediately recognize things like this from the Old Testament. For example, like what Zechariah wrote 600 years earlier in Zechariah 4, verse 2 and 9. It says, I see a gold, a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and how many lamps? Seven lamps. So that sounds kind of familiar, right? Now, Let's continue. With seven channels to the lamps, also there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. And so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Let's talk for just a minute. And what I want to do is I want to dig down into the weeds for just a few minutes. And some of you, please don't go to sleep because we're going to go deep into some stuff, uh, comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and seeing how they fit together. I promise if you feel like we're going a little deep over the next few minutes, we're going to dig back out. So please hang with us and you'll see why it matters in just a minute. But Zerubbabel, it's important to understand and to recognize that Zerubbabel was rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem when this was written. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a minute. So the Lord said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And so why is Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple. Well, because Babylon had previously destroyed the temple in 586 BC. And so that was the first temple that Babylon destroyed. Now Zerubbabel is building the second temple. And as he's laying the foundation, one of the things to notice is that Babylon from this point on becomes a prototype of a type of what we would call today an antichrist. That what happens is all throughout the Bible and especially in the book of Revelation, that Babylon then becomes a common name or reference to anyone who would destroy the worship of God and persecute God's people. That's important when you read through Revelation. And so Zerubbabel, 
is rebuilding the temple after the Babylonians have destroyed it. And the Bible tells us that Zerubbabel is getting discouraged and, and Zechariah can see that, that the people are becoming downhearted and, and, and in their discouragement, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah the prophet and he receives this vision and he says, Zechariah, I give you this vision in order to be an encouragement to Zerubbabel in the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And it continues, this vision, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Who dares despise the day of small things since the seven eyes of the Lord? And by the way, that number seven is really important. It represents the perfection of God. It shows up 31 different times in the book of Revelation that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, what is the capstone of the temple? Let's talk about that for just a minute because that shows up all throughout the Bible as well. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 6, it says, as you come to him, the living what? The living stone. Think about the capstone, Zechariah. Uh, says that Zerubbabel has in his hand in this vision, rebuilding the temple. What does it say in the New Testament? As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. What was the spiritual house in the Old Testament? It was the temple in Jerusalem. But in the New Testament, it says that you and I become the temple of the Holy Spirit to be a holy priesthood. So again, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you had priests that were between the people and God. But in the New Testament, the priesthood is expanded to include everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. You and me, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so in the Old Testament, you have Zerubbabel, and he has the capstone for the temple in his hand. And the prophecy continues still in Zechariah 4, verse 11. And then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now notice that in the Old Testament, the two who are anointed. In Revelation, you also see this imagery of two who are anointed ones working together. L look at Revelation chapter 11. Verse 3 and 4. It says, And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, now, now, now here's another biblical reference. Because in the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, something significant happened. 
Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the Greek Seleucid ruler, came into Jerusalem 200 years before the writing of the book of, of Revelation. And he came into Jerusalem and he desecrated the temple and demanded that people deny their worship of the one true God. And so after 1,260 days approximately, or 42 months, or three and a half years, this was a common designation in, in Judaism to refer to the amount of time before the Jews were finally able to, to drive Antiochus Epiphanes and the Greeks out of Jerusalem and rededicate the temple for the worship of God. Guess what that rededication of the temple was called? Some of you know, maybe you can put it in the comments right now on Facebook or on YouTube if you know the answer. What is the rededication of the temple called? It's called Hanukkah. You've heard of Hanukkah, right? That's the story of Hanukkah. And so what happens is you begin to see how these layers exist and how hard it is for us to see a lot of what is going on in the book of Revelation if we don't know the Old Testament. And I want you to notice also this idea of two witnesses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are anointed by God, that in Revelation it says that not only does God have two witnesses, but that Satan will have two witnesses. Satan's two witnesses are called what? The first beast and the second beast. And so here's why I think that's significant. Because it reminds us of this truth that Satan never has an original thought. You see, all Satan does, and that's especially true when you read Revelation, all Satan does is counterfeit and copy that which God has established and put in place. And so next week, we're going to look at Revelation. We're going to see some of this stuff. I promise it's going to be a lot of fun. But let me just show you one more before we move on. It's especially true in the book of Daniel. One more Old Testament, New Testament example. For example, Revelation 1, verse 13 through 15 says, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his head. This is a, a description of the glorified Christ. Jesus, And so the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, growing, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And so look at this imagery of the glorified Jesus in Revelation. First of all, it mentions a robe and, and a golden sash. It mentions his eyes are like blazing fire and feet like, like bronze and his voice like rushing waterfalls. Okay, now what I want you to do is look at Daniel who spoke of this same imagery 600 years earlier in his prophecy, again, during the Babylonian exile. And Daniel says, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. 
And so much of what you see in Revelation becomes richer when you understand the Old Testament. And by the way, guess what Daniel calls any world leader who would rise up and demand that people worship false gods and deny the worship of the one true God. Guess what Daniel calls them in the Old Testament? 600 years earlier, Daniel calls them beasts. So even the idea of a beast as a leader, the beast is from the Old Testament. Now, you might wonder at this point, okay, Joel, what are you saying? Are you saying that the book of Revelation is wrong? No, actually, I'm saying the exact opposite. What I'm saying is that the book of Revelation is right and that what it is revealing for us is how history goes through cycles where these things happen again and again and again, where Satan will raise up a ruler like with Babylon where Satan will rise up an antichrist who desecrates the temple and demands that people deny their worship of the one true God. And then the Greek Antiochus Epiphanes, again, he desecrates the temple and demands that believers deny their worship of God. And then Roman emperors came along in the New Testament like Nero and Domitian, and they desecrate the temple and set themselves up as antichrists demanding that people deny their worship of the one true God. And even in recent times, leaders like Adolf Hitler. And so all throughout history, you see this happening again and again and again. Because remember, Satan never has an original thought. And that's one of the things that makes Revelation so difficult to understand because in it you have not chronological order, not just the past, not just the present, not just the future, but literally in Revelation, you find all three at the same time, like layers of an onion that you have to keep peeling back in order to get to the good stuff where things keep happening again and again. And we might get frustrated and we say, but Joel, what does all this mean for me? What about the coronavirus? What does it say about that? And, and here's my danger. That's not a bad question, but we have to be cautious with it because you will be prone to misinterpreting Scripture if you are always putting yourself at the center of the narrative. You would think the way that, that you see some of the stuff going on out there and some of the stuff on social media and YouTube, you'd think that maybe we were the first generation ever to experience pandemics and viruses. You'd think that we were the first generation ever in history to face floods and earthquakes. You'd think that we were the first ones to ever talk about a one world government. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about these things. That's not my point. But my point is this, in the midst of all of these things, number three, we have missed the message of revelation if what we see induces fear in our hearts. Listen, if you sit down and you read the book of Revelation and then you walk away with fear in your heart, you have missed the point. 
The purpose of revelation is not to make you afraid. The, the, the purpose of revelation is to encourage you. It's a book of worship. It's a book that lifts up the name of Jesus so that we can focus and, and remember that God has not forgotten you and that his purposes will prevail in the end. And so that's why we have to be careful with some of this stuff. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 11 says, This is what the Lord says to me. With his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of his people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. And do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. And he is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. In other words, the purpose of this book is not to induce fear in your heart about the future. The purpose of Revelation is to remind you that no matter what you're going through, God has not forgotten you and his purposes will prevail in the end. Amen? And so in the four weeks of this series, that's what we're going to look at. We're, we're going to learn about some of the first century Christians and the churches that are listed in Revelation and what they are going through at this time in history. We're going to talk about the mark of the beast and 666 and, and the Antichrist and all the kind of stuff that people get worked up about. But I thought it was really important for us right up front to, to take note of these four things. We've looked at three so far. Number one, that we miss much of Revelation if we don't know early church history. Number two, if we don't know the Old Testament. Number three, if we walk away feeling frightened. And then I think this last one could be possibly the most important of all. Number four, we have missed the point of revelation if it doesn't make us more like Jesus. Amen? See, Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Notice that. If you remain in me, Jesus said, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, if you do not bear fruit, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And so what is this fruit that Jesus speaks of? How do we test Various conspiracy theories or, or, or YouTube prophets and Christians getting frightened and angry. How do you know if that stuff is really of God? Jesus said, here's how you can test. You know them by their fruit. And what is the fruit? What does it look like? Galatians 5 verse 20 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, this, uh, this week or two in the last little bit, I received an email from someone who's been watching us online and 
accused me of, of being a false teacher, leading people astray, and of us being a false church. And the reason was, they said, the accusation was because we focus so much on God's love and not enough talking about his wrath. And listen, don't get me wrong. The wrath of God is serious. That's why Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God. It is not to be taken lightly. But I want to remind you today, listen, with all the end time apocalyptic preachers and conspiracy theorists, listen, if your study of revelation is not making you more loving, if it's not making you more joyful, then there's a problem. If it's not bringing you more peace, if it's not bringing you more patience and kindness and goodness and, and faithfulness and gentleness and more self-control, listen, if it's not inducing in you, if it's not growing in you the fruit of the Spirit, if it's not nurturing these fruit in you, then that's a problem, and I think it's missing the point of, of Revelation. And so you say, okay, Joel, then what is the point of Revelation? Well, I'm glad you asked. It, it, it's really, really simple. And I think if you get these three things, this is just my idea, I could be wrong, but I think if you get these three things down, that this will help you understand what you read in Revelation, even when there's imagery that you don't understand. And it's this, number one, Jesus wins in the end. Number two, worship God and Him only. That's the main point of Revelation as well. To, to understand that, that you will be compromised if you do not stand firm in your faith in Jesus. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of struggles, worship God and Him only. And number three, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark and they were oblivious until the flood came and swept them all away. And so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. So therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day on which your Lord will come. But understand this, if the homeowner had known in which watch of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. In other words, if we knew that it was today, then maybe we would clean up our act and give it to Jesus. But for this reason, you must also be ready. Be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. In other words, anyone who tells you that they have it all figured out and they have the exact timeline and all the charts and the graphs, 
I'm telling you, listen. Even Jesus said, the angels don't know, that not even the Son knows, only the Father. And so I think the point of Revelation is not to figure out some timeline. The point of Revelation is to ask this question, are you ready? To put your faith in Jesus, to stop living for the things of this world and start putting God first in your life. Because the fact is, do you know what? It could be today that Jesus comes back. It might be tomorrow, or it might not be a hundred years or even a thousand years from now. And so I think the question is not when, as much as the question is, are you ready today? And if not, you can be. Your heart can be at peace with God today. And so wherever you are, whatever you're going through, know that God is here and he has not forgotten you. That his love will prevail in the end, but you have to trust in him. So I just wanna ask right now, if you're ready to submit and surrender to him, the Bible says it's really simple. You need to confess your sin, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your forgiveness, receive that gift and make a commitment to follow him for the rest of your life. And if you're ready to do that right now, would you join me wherever you are right now? Maybe you're at home, maybe you're in your bedroom or in the kitchen or in the living room. Maybe you have family around. Maybe you're all by yourself right now. Maybe you're even at work or pulled over on the side of the road watching on your phone in your car. But wherever you are, God is speaking to you right now and calling out to you, will you come home? Will you make sure you're ready? And let's pray together just in your heart right now. If you could say, I believe, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And I receive his gift of forgiveness. I confess my sin and invite you to come in and transform me, to wipe my slate clean. I want to be a new creation, born again, a child in your family. And so I make the commitment right now to follow you now and for the rest of your life and try to live according to your word. In Jesus' name. And for anyone else right now who today, maybe over these last few months, the enemy, Satan, who loves to come and steal your joy, he loves to destroy your confidence, to get you to doubt, and maybe right now, maybe right now in your heart, you would admit that over the last month or two, you've been afraid. I wanna pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would pour out your blessing and your grace to people. That over this next week and over this next four weeks as we look at the book of Revelation, as, as people begin to open it up and read for themselves, Lord, that we would see the focus that in the end, Jesus wins and that we must worship him only and that we need to be ready. 
So Father, I pray for people who are struggling today. I pray, pray for people who are hurting. I pray for people maybe who are wondering what to do when it comes to next steps for, for their job or, or for their family or for, for their schooling. People who have financial questions right now. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your abundance and as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us as you have promised in your word. And so we worship you with confidence today in the name of Jesus, amen. And so we're about to sing a song here in just a minute. But listen, if you're a new, if you're a new believer, if you prayed that prayer and you wanna get next steps in how to follow Jesus, right now go to mw.church and we have a connect card on there. Send us an email, let us know. Or you can literally go to mw.church slash connect card. And there's a place where you can check the box that says, I prayed to receive Jesus today. We wanna help you get started. We wanna help you get connected in Alpha. We want to help you get connected in a small group. But right now, let's lift up our praise and declare our faith that God would send a revival across our city, a revival across our land, and that people's lives would be transformed as we press into Jesus, as we draw near to Him. He's going to draw near to us. Amen. Let's lift Him up. <laughs> 